Hello, hello, and welcome to Coffee Stained EDU Podcast. This is your host, Geneva Rodriguez, and I am going into our second episode under our fourth season. This series is titled The New York City Tenure Portfolio. So I know I, t- I attempt to, you know, have episodes that not only educators can relate to, but I also have certain series that New York City Department of Education educators and administrators can benefit from. And this is one of those series. I know as an educator, you have um, every district, every um, school has a different um, tenure process. So I am focusing on the New York, New York City tenure process in this episode. The first episode, I just discussed an introduction. I went over an overview and I kind of just try to get a feel for how many episodes this series should be. And I feel that it can probably be uh, three, maybe, maybe three, if I can put two of the domains into one episode. So I'm going to attempt this episode to go over student learning and instructional practice. If you look at the teacher tenure decision-making framework for the New York City Department of, Edu- of Education, you see that there's three components. There's three domains that you are rated on. You can find that decision framework on my website, which is coffeestains.org, coffeestains.org. And and you can also find the YouTube tenure binder tutorial that I put together years back when I was actually putting together my teacher tenure binder because I realized that there was not enough support or samples of a tenure binder or what was expected of a tenure binder, right? You're just told, hey, you're up for tenure, um, put it together. Some, you know, some principals are a little bit more thorough and, and um, give you exactly what they want. Others don't. They just tell you to look at the framework and put it together. I think um, from the few teachers that I've spoken to recently about the tenure binder, they are actually asking for digital copies, which is pretty cool, um, but it depends on the principal and, uh, and what temp- that template, what format they want you to do it on um, use, whether it's a Google folder or maybe it's an actual Google website. Um, I think there was a few other platforms that people were using to create their binder, but whatever works for your school, you just have to have that conversation with your principal. I know there are some principals that are still asking for a hardcover, which, you know, that's how I did mine. I did a binder and I had dividers in there and I put everything together. And like I said, if you go onto YouTube, NYC Teacher Binder, let me confirm exactly what it's called. It's called NYC Teacher Tenure Binder Number One. And that was the video that I put up about six years ago and it has um, quite a few views and um, so I take that as that it's been helpful (laughs) and also I've had a lot of people actually reaching out to me um, just recognizing that it was um, helpful and ask you know asking you know other questions that I might have not covered in the video so Take a chance to look at that video. Again, things might have changed a little bit. Um, I believe, I mean, just as far as the for, for, the format, right? And what your principal wants, that's what I would say to confirm because the framework is still the same. The last frame, the framework that they're using, which is um, still being using today, if I am correct, 
um, is, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sorry, is 2015-2016 teacher tenure de decision-making framework. That's the one I used when I did my binder. So this episode, I'm going to go into student learning. I'm going to try to cover instructional practices as well. If I don't get into instructional practices, then there will be another episode. So again, thank you to all my listeners for joining, for taking time to listen. I appreciate all the feedback and the suggestions. Um, I decided to do this episode because I, you know, I, there, you're constantly having tenure, um, having to, um, not having to. There's constantly teachers who are up for tenure, right? So I feel that this video, this podcast, the video that I put up on YouTube can be a great tool to help you in that process because, like I said, I know that there's not really a lot of support and help when you are putting together certain things. Um, as a teacher, it's your job already is very overwhelming and stressful and then you have to think of a tenure binder. And I, I always highly suggest you start early on. So if you know someone that just started as a teacher, the second year as a teacher, letting them know that the earlier the start, the better it is because you have to put together a binder that is a summary of your four years teaching, five years teaching. I don't know what it is now. When I was a teacher um, and I was up for tenure, it was for my three years of teaching. I think now it's up to four or five years. So that just means you have to collect four to five years of artifacts that um, reflects your instructional practices and covers student learning, instructional practice, and professionalism. So let's jump right in it. I'm going to be referencing a couple of material, a um, couple of documents today. I'm going right into my own teacher portfolio. Again, this is just to be used as a tool, as a resource, as, a, as an outline to put together your tenure binder but let me just say this before i go into it check with your principal first okay that is a conversation you should be having with your principal so that you know what they what the expectations are in your school this was the expectations in my school when i was a teacher so i just followed that guideline but the framework is the same i will say that the framework is from the new york city department of education now what the principal asks of you should align to that framework, but it might look different, right? It might be a couple of a couple of more pieces of student learning. It might be a couple of less pieces, right? It might include data. It might not, right? So speak to your principal and ask exactly what they want. If they tell you to use the framework, then use a framework. The framework doesn't really tell you the amount of student learning you should use or data or pieces of instructional artifacts. I would always say two or three minimum. That is just what I would say to be on the safe side. If you just show one, it doesn't really show much of different learners in your class, how you differentiated the data between two different um, students in your class. So I would always say two or three. I used two or three pieces, I believe, for each year. If you have the same students, for example, like District 75, um, you tend to have the same students, um, you might want to use the same student um, over the years to show progress in certain skills that they're working on, right? But again, check with your principal. So I'm gonna be going over what I put into my student learning section of my portfolio. So student learning first, let's let's focus on what the rubric says. I'm gonna I'm gonna I always start at the top, right? You exceed standards. 
and expectations of effective teaching for student learning and teacher practice for at least two consecutive years. So that's exceeds. So the student learning would be multiple sources of evidence showing that virtually all students, including special populations, achieve substantial gains on the New York State Common Core Standards. So they are exactly what I just said, including special populations. So you want to make sure that if you have students that have special needs, if you're in a school that is just solely for special needs, that you're showing multiple sources of evidence that all your students are learning and having access to the curriculum and it's aligned to the common core. That's basically what it's saying, right? So that's why I say at least two or three pieces. So in my table of contents, again, which you will see in the video that's on YouTube and you can also find, out, find that on the website. If you look under the resource tab, I actually linked the YouTube video there for under the series of um, tenure binder, the tenure binder series. You can also find at the bottom the footnotes of our of the website, the YouTube channel. But for my table of contents, which you should have in your portfolio as well, I included evidence of student learning for every year that was included in my tenure binder. So, like I said, I I was completing my tenure binder after three years of teaching. So. In the table of contents, I have evidence of student learn of student work 2016 to 2017. And then I have it again for 2015, 2016, and then 2014, 2015. So for all the three those three years, I included evidence of work. Now, within that, every year I had at least two to three students and three, two to three pieces of work. Again, you'll see that in the binder in the video. I don't really go, I don't really show you specifically what those are, but I show that there is at least two or three students, um, two, uh, two or three pieces of student work for every year. I also included in that section data collection, right? So if you're, you should always collect data as a, as a teacher in the classroom. You had the evidence of student work. Students are learning how to add, subtract. Students are learning how to identify the main idea, key details, make inferences. Whatever the student is doing, you should have data that's a, that, that aligns, right? So the data that I put in my binder aligned to the student work. Again, I had a little more free, I had a little bit more freedom with putting this binder together. I was just told put it together, have a couple of pieces of work for each grade, I mean each year, yada yada yada. I'm I'm always I'd rather put in more than less, because then they can they have a lot more to look at and to decide if they you know thought I deserved tenure or not, if I earned tenure or not, right? But I aligned the the evidence of student work to the data collection. I wanted them to see. I gave the students this, and I had a beginning, middle, and end, right? A baseline, then the mid-year, and then the end year. So they can see if there was progress or no progress for the students, right? What was the reason why I was giving them this work? Did they need this work? Was it too, it was, was it too easy for them? Was it challenging for them? If it was challenging for them, how did I differentiate it? So how did I support them throughout the year? So you should be able to see that you give them the baseline at the beginning of the year. That's one piece of work. The second piece of work would be the mid-year after you have already started teaching them the skill and how to actually do the skill, giving them supports in the classroom. You're going to assess them again to see 
were they able to master that skill and then you go into the end of year right so again this is this was from my binder which was for district 75 um, again that might look different for you but i think I would highly suggest that you align your student work to the data that you're putting in there. It should not just be student work. It should show proof of your data. Why were you giving that? What, what, what was driving your instruction? Um, maybe that was an IEP goal of theirs. Maybe that was just part of the curriculum that they had to learn. You seen that they were struggling, so you adapted the work, you modified it, you provided differentiation, you provided further support, and then show, um, how were you assessing them to see if they should move forward or not, right? So I had data collection and I had tabs for each one. So I had, with under student learning, I had six tabs. There were three tabs for the student work, like I said, for every year. And then I had three tabs for data collection for every year. And that data collection aligned to the student work that was in there. So. It might sound like a lot, but it's what you're doing in school anyways. It's what you're doing as an educator. It's just all about compiling these documents, which is why I say you should start early. Do not wait till your fourth year or your third year of teaching to start putting together your tenure, tenure binder. You should start your first year. You know that this is when you're going to... You're going to need this first year. You're going to need all the documents of this first year into your tenure binder, so it should be on your mind. I know there's a lot to cover, and there's a lot you do as a teacher, but your goal is to get tenure, right? To earn tenure, to have that job security. <laughs> Excuse me. So, so for me, each year I had about three students, and for each student I had about three pieces of work. So that section is gonna be pretty bulky, right? Because I'm gonna do the baseline, the mid-year, and then the end of year, right? Well, the baseline probably would be beginning of year, mid-year, then you have the mid-year and then end of year, right? However you wanna look at it. So, and then I did three different students because I had three different um, supports and I had to differentiate, it was three different levels. So I chose three different students for each year and I used three different worksheets for them. So there's gonna be a lot in there, but it's gonna show, there's gonna be a flow. It's, they're gonna be able to see whoever's looking at your binder, that you have the data that aligns to the student work and you could justify it. What I also did in the beginning of each section of my binder, I gave kind of like a little synopsis, I guess, or a little summary of what to expect in that section someone's opening up your binder they're seeing a table of contents fine but it's also nice for them to have a little summary of what to expect when they go into the sections right so maybe in student learning you might want to give a little little summary of um the student the student work from 2016 to 2017 is going to reflect boom 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 right in the beginning of the year the students were assessed using this uh, mid-year we decided to provide them um, another assessment um, but there was some um, supports provided throughout the year to help them you know get to another level yada 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 so like, there should be 
there should be kind of like a little description of what they're going to see when they go into it. Again, this is me. You might think it's more, um, but I would say um, the more, the better, because you don't know who's going to look at your binder. It might be your principal. It might be somebody from the superintendent's office. It might be other people. You want them to get a clear understanding of what they're looking at and understand why, right? Justify why you put it in the binder. Okay, so if you go into mine, like I said, the video definitely gives a breakdown of what I put in each section and the data. Okay, um, again, it's going to look different based on your, your students, based on what you put in there and based on what your principal is asking for. So the next section, which I think I can go into now, I'm only 16 minutes in, is instructional practices. Instructional practice. So this has three areas within itself, three components within itself. Instructional practices exceed, uh, exceed standards of expectation reads this. Multiple sources of evidence indicating practice at the most effective level using a research-based framework in the categories below. Planning and preparation, classroom environment, and instruction. So if you listened to my series for the Danielson rubric, you're going to see that. That sounds pretty familiar, right? I mean, sorry, that also sounds familiar planning and preparation, right? Classroom environment, instruction. These are the things that you are rated on with the Danielson rubric. So these are things that you should already be doing in the classroom you should be familiar with. So planning and preparation, classroom environment, and instruction. What does that look like in a, a tenure binder, right? So I'm going to be reading off my table of contents. So I put a tab for instructional practices, and then within the instructional practice tab, I had three sub sub tabs and they were instruction planning and preparation and classroom environment so for instruction I put a lot my school I was again was D75 I had a lot of hands-on activities a lot of learning um, so I I put pictures I wrote little descriptions of what I did in the classroom. And I also gave like little summaries, like I said, right? So if I, for instruction, right? I was working with life skills and we were teaching students how to label an envelope. We were teaching students the parts of the envelope, right? So I took pictures of students working on, um, Labeling the envelope, I made big um, envelopes with labels where they could Velcro on and off parts of the envelope so they know where does the return address go, where does the delivery address go, where does this, the postage go, right? So students were able to have practice with that after the, after the lesson. We even went as far as doing a mail, uh, taking a trip, a walking trip in the community to the post office. So after students had the lesson of uh, parts of an envelope, writing a letter, right? Then we took a trip. They wrote letters to their classmates. 
They were able to label the envelopes with the practice in the classroom. Then we took a trip to the post office to mail the letters. So there was different parts of that instruction and it was a lot of um, hands-on activities, right? So again, it's based on your students. We also had a mindfulness through the arts program where students learned how to express themselves through the arts. So we had a lot of hands-on things with FAT, um, creating different things, um, using music, using dance, using art to express themselves in a healthy way. And we had a whole meditation room for this. We had the garden that students worked on in the garden. So we had pictures of, I implement, I added pictures of all these activities and a lot of it, like I said, is hands-on things. So you have to, you might have to use a lot of, you know, be creative when you're putting your binders together, using pictures of the students working, maybe using pictures of some anchor charts that you use in the classroom. If you have any teacher-made material, so you, you, you wanna throw that in there as well. So for example, I made a lot of teacher file folder activities for students to identify the community and safety signs. There's a lot of like matching Velcro, um, sorting laundry as far as like different seasons. I also had one for the mailing a letter, parts of an envelope and dressing appropriately for different seasons, right? Winter clothes and summer clothes and they had to Velcro the appropriate clothes onto, onto the file folder. Um, pictures you want if this everything that you use in the classroom is a tool that you would want to put into your binder the, this is part of instruction this is what you're using to help your students gain access to the curriculum to the material and to learn so you want to provide samples of this so we did a lot of community trips after lessons in the classroom. We went to the post office, we went to the laundromat, we did the food, we went to the food pantry where the students volunteered. They helped with sorting cans and, and, and um, putting things um, on the shelves, doing inventory. We went to the Dollar Tree so students can learn how to make purchases. Um, so there's a lot that goes under instruction. So again, this might look different for you if you're in a regular community school, but you want to make sure that you show everything as part, part of your instruction, what you've done in the classroom, whether you use timers, whether you use anchor charts, whether you use any teacher-made material, I would add pictures of it in there and, and give a description as to why this was something you use in your instruction. Talk about your classroom environment. What was things within your classroom environment, right? Um, and what can that include, right? What would classroom environment mean? You have um, tools that your class use, you have a space in your, in your classroom for children to relax, um, maybe you have different stations in your classroom that uh, provides access and, and hands-on and support to, to students, whether it's a reading station, a math station, a writing station, right? This is your classroom environment. Um, if, you had, if you had any PBIS, right, behavior management systems in place, what were they? So this is all under this section of your portfolio it's all under instructional practices planning and preparation is 
your lessons, right? How are you aligning the lessons to the common core? How are you aligning the lessons to your students' needs and, and how are you supporting them, right? So that would, again, like I said, include the anchor charts. That's part of your lesson. Any technology that you implement, any posters, any media, any visuals, anything that you use to help support your students and how you plan and prepare, right? Do you meet with other teachers? Do you meet for common planning? Maybe have copies of emails or, or a, a meeting agendas that you've had um, with your coworkers that show your instructional planning, right? That also could be part of your professionalism, which we'll talk about next episode. Classroom environment, like I just said earlier, would be a PBIS, your point system. Do you have any incentives? What other supporting resources do you use? Um, again, you might have a chill, a chill zone or a, a, a section where it's a calming corner, whatever you want to call it, make it fun, make it hip, but that's a space in your classroom environment, right? So you're going to put that in there. Again, the video is going to be very helpful. I just decided to do the podcast because I can give a little bit more breakdown um, that can further support you putting together your binder. So I'm not going to go into professionalism. That would be the last episode that I do. So this episode, I went over student learning um, and instructional practice. So I would become very familiar with the rubric, the sorry, the framework. Again, you can find that on the website, coffeestains.org. You can also find it on the UFT website. I would suggest you go on there. They might have additional resources. Again, when I was putting together my binder, I didn't find a lot of resources. I'm noticing now over the years, People have been creating their own resources. They have been joining forces and putting together resources. I um, I put that together, the 10-year binder, um, the 10-year binder YouTube video. I'm doing this podcast because I'm just trying to support educators. I want them to earn, earn the earn the tenure that they deserve and also feel supported in that process. I know it could be very overwhelming to just do it alone, right? And it's important that we collaborate. There's so much power in collaboration and supporting one another. And if I have done something and I was and I was successful in that, and I was because I did earn my tenure from this binder that I put together, then why not share that with other educators? Why not take that stress or that frustration or that confusion away from them and put them at ease? And that is the only purpose. That's the solely pur- that's the sole purpose of me putting together this podcast and putting together the tenure binder video. I think there's actually two. I did the first one years ago when I was putting my binder together. And then I did one not so long ago to kind of give you like just tips and advice. And like I said, starting early, putting all your artifacts together. And like I said in the previous episode, um, the introduction to this series, start early. If you're going to do a digital copy, throw it all in there. You know, try to set yourself a reminder on your phone or just have your mindset shift to where you know my tenure binder is a priority to me. I know within a few years I'm going to have to submit it. I don't want to wait to the last minute. You want to be proactive about this because you don't want to add more stress to the to, to what you already have. You don't want to add more to your workload. We know that as an educator you're you have so much on your plate. But if you slowly do this, if you realize that you have a great activity in class or a lesson and you have so much differentiation you have great activities and great um supports take pictures of it use it um and just save it to the side and just put it to compile it in a folder and then later on so divide it like google drive is my best friend 
I use it for everything. It's so helpful when it comes to organizing. So I definitely use it when I put together my 10-year binder and I just started throwing everything in there. And I gave, like I said, descriptions for everything I put in there. Um, I want to go back a little bit more because I don't think I mentioned it in the last episode. It was the intro. And I just looked at my table of content and I realized that I also had in my binder my teaching philosophy all right and I think that that is something very important to have in your binder and if you don't have a teaching philosophy I think you should start thinking about one what is your teaching philosophy um what do you believe in why why what's your why why did you go into education right and that should be the first page in your binder um that's what I put as my first page in my binder and I think it just gave a better, uh, a, a clearer picture of who I am and uh, in, in the classroom and, and as a person and why I teach the way I teach. So I know I went a little backwards with that, but I just noticed that in my, um, in my, teaching, in my teaching binder drive, I have a teaching philosophy in there. So that was episode two of our New York City Teacher Portfolio series. Thank you for joining me. I hope that was helpful. Again, you can find the framework um, in, on our website under resources. You can also find the videos on the New York City Teacher Tenure Binder number one video and the number two video. And I will be coming back with episode three, which I should be able to um, wrap it up with one more episode talking about the professionalism component of this um, series to wrap it up but thank you thank you again this is your host geneva rodriguez thank you for joining us on coffee stains edu podcast you can listen to us on spotify iHeartRadio, amazon music you can also check us out on my website i actually upload the episodes there as well you can check us out on instagram follow us so that you can keep up to date with any new episodes you can also dm me there if you have any suggestions on episodes i'm open to that as well that the IG is coffee stains underscore edu, coffee stains underscore edu. Again, the website is coffee stains at org. This is your host, Geneva Rodriguez, and it's a wrap.